At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 708th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is teaching how nutrition can prevent and reverse disease. We're talking with Dr. Joel Furman about eating for life. Joel Furman, MD, is a board-certified family physician, seven-time New York Times bestselling author and nutritional researcher who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional methods. His Eat to Live retreat in San Diego, California, and through his books, television specials, and virtual speaking engagements, Dr. Furman shares his life-saving nutritional protocols with hundreds of thousands of people around the world seeking to recover from obesity, food addictions, diabetes, heart disease, autoimmune disease, cancer, and other serious health concerns. Welcome to the show today, Joel. Are you ready to rock nutrition? I'm excited about it. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? You know, I used to be on the world figure skating team in the 1970s. And it wow. was into, yeah, I was, I was actually third in the world in pair figure skating with my sister, my younger sister. I was into nutrition then for performance, for not getting sick. And my father was kind of sickly and overweight. So I started reading books on nutrition when I was young as a teenager. And it wasn't until I was about 28 years old where I decided to go back to medical school, specifically with the intent of being a physician specializing in nutritional medicine. Because I knew that niche where a lot of people would choose to get well and to live longer and to get rid of illnesses instead of taking drugs, which I'm, I'm very like anti-medication and to a degree anti-doctoring or anti-medical care because people don't need medical care if they live healthfully and staying away from medical care is the key to a long life. So what I'm saying is that we are responsible for our own health and you can't achieve good health by going to physicians and taking pills. It's your diet and lifestyle that determines your longevity and your ultimate happiness in your life. And I'm also saying, yeah, it's like, I'm saying that the, by maximizing human nutrition with nutritional excellence, which I call a nutritarian diet, applying those same factors in foods, which slow aging process enable you to live longer, becomes therapeutically effective to reverse illnesses so people can get well from psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis and get rid of their high blood pressure and diabetes and get rid of their heart disease and live a life without fear because the disease is not the normal, you could say, state for the human body. The normal state is excellent health mm-hmm. when fed excellently. Wow. and a nutritarian, nutritarian diet, there we go, right. is for protection from infection, cancer, cardiovascular disease, I'm sure diabetes. How did you stumble across this? You know, I was, as I said, it was my hobby. And my father actually was overweight and sickly. And he started reading books from Herbert Shelton, who wrote books in the 1950s and 60s. And I read Shelton's books about natural living and natural um, healing when I was young. And I knew there was some excellent information there, but some flaws. And then since that time, I started, I've read over 30,000 scientific journal articles on human nutrition and putting together wow. corroborating evidence for which foods have the most powerful anti-cancer effects and putting together a dietary portfolio based on the nutrient content of food per calorie, but also achieving nutrient diversity. So we're talking about nutritional quality, micronutrient bang per calorie, and having the full diverse amount of nutrients, the full array that humans need to make sure there's no gaps 
And, and nutrition has changed radically in the last decade because we've really like learned that it's not like taking a pill of probiotics, it's eating a wide diversity of fibers that makes for the most, for maximizing the microbiome. And all these things we're learning about human health have to do with getting a, a whole symphony orchestra of phytochemicals and colors and natural foods. You know, and so we can prevent cancer and we can win the war in cancer, but it's not through drugs or some high tech, you know, modern technology. It's going to be just getting back to nature and clean, organic diversity of natural foods. And I have this acronym GBOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, which stands for the most anti-cancer longevity promoting foods that people are supposed to be eating every day. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're greens and beans and onions, and mushrooms, and berries, and seeds. So we're talking about <laughs> a wide nice. diversity of green vegetables, a lot of different types of mushrooms, and we're showing people they can extend human lifespan and not have to fear getting sick like their neighbors do. Right. Now, you said something that caught my attention a moment ago. You said micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Now, I teach gardening. I teach people how to grow fruit trees, and there's two different kinds of nutrients that we feed our plants. So there's the macronutrients, which in gardening is the MPK, and then there's the micronutrients, which there's probably hundreds of them. And it's important that we get the micronutrients to trees and mm -hmm. to plants to get nutrient-dense food. Now, I suspect there's a correlation here to human health. There's definitely a correlation. We, we say there's thousands of micronutrients. Every strawberry has a 900 different phytochemicals in it. Not So we're talking here, the nature makes a whole, you could say, array of nutrients you can't get from eating processed foods and animal products. You have to eat the colorful vegetation. But the, the macronutrients in human nutrition are fat, carbohydrate, and protein. And the micronutrients are the vitamins and minerals, antioxidants, and phytochemicals. So we're saying the American diet gives us excess calories or excess macronutrients, but is ubiquitously deficient in the micronutrients that extend longevity, prevent disease, and slow the aging process. Part of that is because we feed our, in the industrial food system, we feed our plants the macronutrients, but we don't feed them the micronutrients. Yes, but Americans don't even eat plants. The American diet, the Americans only eat 2% of calories from vegetables. Vegetables are the most protective anti-cancer food we can eat. And I can say that raw vegetables have the most consistent and powerful association with reduction of cancers of all type. The American diet today is 60% processed foods and 33% wow. animal products, only 9% unrefined plant food and only 2% vegetables. So it's, you could say, yeah, we're not getting the great organic and the greatest food, but people aren't eating those foods anyway. They're eating chips and, and oils and soda and burgers and pizza and cookies and commercial baked goods and chicken. They're just eating garbage. And of course, we have the most overweight and sickly population ever in the history of the human race. Because I say, to, I give lectures to like big audiences of physicians and I say, raise your hand if you know anybody been shot by a bullet or stabbed by a knife in your family or your neighborhood. And like, one person will raise their hand. I'll say, well, how many people are raising their hand if, cancer, if your family got cancer or a heart attack? Everybody raises their hand. Yep. And, I, and you want to stay living in that neighborhood? You're going to live in that dangerous neighborhood where <laughs> everybody's going to have a, a heart attack or a cancer when you can get out of that neighborhood easily by, by eating a nutritarian diet where you're eating salads every day and fresh fruits and beans and mushrooms. You don't have to have those things happen to you if you don't want to. You know, I get these people riled up and, and now we have a tremendous explosion in growth in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. There are more doctors who have gone into now lifestyle medicine, nutrition and, or, and organics and farming and, and teaching people about healthy living more than ever before. When I started out, it was like 30 doctors at this convention. Now it's like, you know, like 12,000 doctors at a convention. Wow. So we're waking up. There, there's some wake up going on. Well, yeah. well, the whole masses of society are still growing in obesity and going eating junk food. We mm -hmm. still have more professionals that are more advocating and adopting nutritional excellence as a mode of protecting the population. But it hasn't really trickled down that heavily into the population yet. But you know, it's 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 happened a lot. You know, yeah. you wouldn't be going to a supermarket and see like microgreens and baby kale and baby lettuces and organic. You wouldn't see the growth of, of sale of organic produce if more people weren't interested in consuming this stuff, you know? Yeah. When, and part of this leads back to the SAD diet. 
And I just, I, I want to bring this up. It's an acronym. Can you tell us about the SAD diet? You kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's just kind of really call it what it is. Yeah, the standard American diet, which I call the, the deadly American diet. Mm. And I'm saying if you eat like other Americans, then you have to develop high blood pressure, hypertension, heart disease, with a high, and eventually cancers or strokes or heart attacks. You can't eat like other Americans eat and not to have happen to you what happens to the rest of the people. Those foods just cause those diseases are the result of what we're eating, foods that aren't adapted to the human species. So the, so the sad diet is sad, but it's what's exciting is that our taste preferences change. Our taste muscle gets stronger. We get the heavily salt and heavily hyperpalatable processed foods and all the fats out of your diet. You know, your, your taste gets better and you enjoy the simple flavors of fruits and vegetables have more flavor. And, you know, I'm also saying that people can learn to prefer this way of eating because people listening will say, you know, oh, I like the way I eat. I'm not going to give up pleasure in life. I'd rather die younger and eat the foods I like. But, it, but they're wrong. That's their addictive self-talk and you get addicted to those foods. Once you got them away from their addictions, food for a few months, they, they start to enjoy eating a natural diet as much or more as their old diet. We make incredibly great desserts and things, you know, frozen banana ice creams with whipped bananas, some vanilla bean powder, some macadamia nuts for creaminess. And we add all kinds of healthy things that taste fantastic. You don't have to eat junk food to enjoy living and enjoy your, your diet. You could have your, you know, we're saying you can have a great tasting diet style that you love and still live protected to a hundred years old. Wow. Cool. And so this nutritarian diet, can you tell me about it? What is it? And what kind of research has been published? Well, as you know, I've written 12 books on it, but my let's, if you took, for example, my latest book, Eat for Life, mm -hmm. there's more than 2000 scientific references in there. Wow. I've myself published maybe a dozen scientific studies, but of course, my work is not based on the 12 studies I've published. It's based on thousands of studies that have been published from all over the world that corroborate each other. You know, the, there's, there's like two major facts in the last five years that have been corroborated by numerous studies. One is that getting fat in the diet from oil and animal products shortens lifespan. Our fat intake should come from whole nuts and seeds and avocados. In other words, when we take the oil and extract it from the nut, walnut oil is not the same as eating a whole walnut. Sesame seed oil is not the same as eating a whole sesame seed. When people get their get eat nuts and seeds, they lower cardiovascular risk by more than 40%, cardiovascular death by more than 40%. Just that one change, just by eating some nuts and seeds, they didn't even change their diet. They just ate some nuts and seeds on a daily basis. And they lower the risk of having a heart attack by 40%. But I'm saying we have it all messed up. Nobody gets their fat intake from predominantly nut and seed. They get their fat from oils and animal products. So as a nutritarian, we're making salad dressing and dips and desserts using the whole nut and seed blending it in. So I'll make a salad dressing maybe with a, a sun-dried tomato sauce with almonds, with almond butter or almonds mixed in with some fig vinegar and, you know, or I'll, I'll make a orange cashew dressing with, or an orange sesame dressing with navel oranges with sesame seeds and little cashews and maybe some blood orange vinegar and a squeeze of lemon. And we'll make desserts out of, or we'll make a Thai, we'll make vegetables in a Thai curry sauce that has some hemp seeds and, and, um, and a date in there, maybe with some lemongrass and curry powder. We'll make all kinds of incredible dishes and, and sauces, but we're using nuts and seeds for the source of fat, not just pouring oil on our food, which act completely different biological effects in the body. One causes weight gain and one causes weight loss. One causes us to absorb the calories slowly and burn them for energy. The other one causes them to store them as fat. So it's like completely different biological effects. And then Besides the, you know, using that source of fat, the overwhelming evidence show that the more animal protein you consume in your life or in your, the shorter your lifespan and the more, really? yeah, more animal protein, more early life deaths and more plant protein, more longevity. So we're, we're taking, so it's switching animal protein to plant protein sources. And so it's completely opposite of what pe people thought, because people thought in the vegan and plant-based movements that just eat fruit or just eat rice or just eat a macrobiotic diet or just eat potato-based diets. They thought it just to cut out animal products was going to reduce heart attack risk, which it does to a, to a large degree. But the healthiest way to eat is to eat more beans and green vegetables and nuts and seeds, to eat those higher protein plant foods. So we're talking here about increasing more um, high protein plants in your diet. Mm -hmm. And of course, and so we're talking a nutritarian diet tries to look at all the various foods that have the, the maximized human longevity 
like sprouts, microgreens, cruciferous green vegetables, onions and scallion, different types of mushrooms, including them in the diet, using flax seeds and chia seeds in your diet, which dramatically protect the hormonal system. So we're talking here about, can you take a diet that's scientifically designed to maximize human longevity and still make it taste really good and have people enjoy that? Or do they have to be two separate words? Sacrifice enjoyment and pleasure and live for health or eat what you want for pleasure and have and then have ill health. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying it doesn't, so we're saying that um, you can have more pleasure in life and live without fear of disease when you adopt this, you know, when you study this degree of nutrition. Well, and when you were sharing about the kinds of things that you make, my mouth was watering a little bit. It's like, wow, I want that. Yeah, people come here from all over the world and they say, wow, this is like the, it's like eating in a five-star restaurant and we're eating foods that we grew on the premises that we have chefs make into without using frying anything or, you know, or cooking anything or baking it. We, you know, if we do cook something, it's like a water-based cooking, a soup or a stew or a chili or walked vegetable dish or blanched vegetables with a delicious sauce. Or We're not really damaging the food with high temperature cooking or barbecue or frying anything. So it's making food taste delicious while still retaining the nutrient quality of it. Wow. And in your book, Eat for Life, on page 32, you have a nutrient IQ score mm-hmm. based on a typical serving size. And there's a couple hundred maybe line items on here, mostly vegetables. I looked down through the first page, which is half of the listing, and I, I think I only saw one processed thing on there, tempeh. Everything else was vegetables. So what is the nutrient IT scores and where are they from? Oh, by the way, tempeh is really not processed, just soybeans you know, made into a fermented into like a patty. It's not ah. really, it's really a whole soybean food, mostly a tempeh. Oh. I'm not, I'm not, wouldn't consider that a processed food, but in any case, yes, I've taken the USDA data and the, let's say 36 nutrients that they keep record of. And this is just, they're keeping records of the nutrient content in ordinary supermarket food bought through regions throughout the United States. They're not taking the best quality organic produce. Mm -hmm. So those numbers are not based on, you know, using the microgreens and the lettuce that I grow in bok choy, I grow in my excellent soil here. They're just regular commercial food. And I'm showing that all the nutrients are still present compared to processed foods and animal products. You have 10 to 100 times the micronutrient content in conventional grown vegetables, that we're a vegetable dependent animal. And if Mm -hmm. you don't eat vegetables, you cannot achieve um, excellent health or can't even have health. I always say to people, if you don't like green vegetables, you better live close to a hospital. But in any case, yes, so we're we're adding up all the various nutrients that we have record of, that we keep track of, and putting it together in one aggregate score so people can demonstrate the low nutrient levels in processed foods and animal products compared to colorful plants where all the micronutrients lie. Wow. And so this is quite a list here. I suspect, and you kind of touched on this, I suspect though that this list grown in my garden, which is an organic garden, is going to be more nutrient dense. That's yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's so that so what we're saying here is that list underrepresents the nutrient value mm-hmm. of natural colorful plants. And since it only represents 36 nutrients and plants have hundreds, if not thousands of nutrients that are not even half of them not discovered yet or counted or measured, that the differentiation between colorful plants and processed foods and animal products would be even greater than what's represented in those scores. Wow. All right. Further impetus to grow your own vegetables in your yard. Oh, definitely. So you mentioned animal protein and there's a curious question here. Animal protein is increasing our risk of cancer. Can you say more about that? Yes, I did. I said that animal protein because the, see, when you take in extra animal protein or extra, that's fully biologically intact, fully complete protein, the body can't effectively store it as fat as well as it can with fat and carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So it turns it into growth hormones like IGF-1 that then promotes cellular replication and not just bodily growth, but also promote cancer growth. Cancers can only grow in a high IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor one environment. And the animal proteins, of course, over a certain amount, changes the type of bacteria grown in the gut to more gram negatives and increases production of pro-inflammatory substances like TMAO, 
or trimethylamine oxide. So we have lots of scientific reasons that explain why diets that are higher in animal products lead to both higher rates of cardiovascular death and higher rates of cancer deaths. So overall, we have a dose-dependent relationship between animal protein and, long, and shorter lifespan, and a dose-dependent relationship between the consumption of vegetables and longer lifespan. And the most centenarians, you could say that um, a study on more than 100,000 Asians was, came out in, in about three years ago, showing that in the highest quintile of green vegetable consumption, live the most centenarians or healthy centenarians, that we can just about predict lifespan by looking at the amount of green vegetables people consume. But I'm saying I'm not even designing a nutritarian diet based on um, the blue zones or one or two studies. I'm combining thousands of studies to, to pull out the, the, you know, the, the best dietary portfolio. Mm -hmm. Wow. And can a person be overweight and healthy if they have good cholesterol and aren't diabetic? There's no such thing as a healthy, overweight person. That's just a myth. That when you're, when you're overweight, you're insulin resistant and longevity is linked to being insulin sensitive, not insulin resistant. So fat cells block the uptake of insulin. They distort and weaken the insulin receptors. And then fat cells also, because they have a poor blood supply, spew out pro-inflammatory compounds like cytokines and lipokines. And, and, and of course, fat cells also raise estrogen production in the body, which increases risk of prostate and breast cancer. So if your cholesterol is good and you're not, and by the way, every overweight person has, is pre-diabetic to a degree because they're, they all have high excess insulin production from the excess fat. So, oh. we, so I'm saying you're a nutritarian if you're at your ideal weight or you're overweight and moving in the direction towards your ideal weight steadily. If you're overweight and not losing, you're certainly not a nutritarian. If you're eating the right diet, you'd be losing weight. And as you're losing weight, you're dropping estrogen, you're dropping angiogenesis promotion, you're dropping inflammation, you're dropping aromatase activation. You're starting to see better insulin sensitivity. So as you're losing weight, you're getting healthy. The minute you start going up again, you're getting unhealthy again at any body weight. You know, that's why most heart attacks occur around holidays. And when people come back from vacations and cruise ships and go to Vegas and eat buffet and they gain weight, oh. the rapid regain of weight immediately restarts inflammatory compounds and lays down more visceral fat and makes your heart more unstable. So we're talking about here this idea of achieving an ideal weight, which means a male's body fat should be below 15% and a female's body fat should be below 25%. So we can easily measure people's health by seeing how high their body fat goes above normal. And But, but of course, you could be a, still have a normal weight and still be unhealthy, but you can't be overweight and be healthy. But you can be a normal weight and be unhealthy based on not eating healthy foods, of course. It's not the only criteria of health is being, is being a normal body weight. Right. Well, and so that begs the question, how do I determine my ideal body weight? Well, your, B, your BMI should be under 23, really ideally under 22 for a male and under 21 for a female, but certainly under 23. The U.S. health authorities consider people overweight with a BMI above 25, and they classify 77% of Americans as being overweight. And I'm saying it's not 77% because there's no long-lived people with a BMI above 23. All long-lived societies in blue zones and all centenarians have, body, have BMIs below 23, and certainly below 22 is better, is even more ideal. If we use 23 as the BMI demarcation line, then we have 89% of Americans are overweight. Wow. Not 77%. And if we look at the 11% that are not overweight, the majority of those are cigarette smokers or alcoholics or people who have medical problems mm. keeping them thin. It's only 2.4% of Americans that are a normal weight because they eat relatively healthfully and exercise regularly, 2.4%. So the whole population is sickly. If we do a wow. study in Americans, we're studying a sickly population. Tell me, for those listeners that don't know, what is BMI and how do you figure it out? It's a, You can look at the internet like a BMI table, plugging your height and weight. Yeah, it's just your height over your weight, your height versus weight to give you a number. And you can, they have these tables all over the place. Uh -huh. And so I'm saying if you're, if you weigh like a, if you're a five foot 10 male, your weight should be like 140 to 160 pounds is probably, I'm saying the range of where you, if you're a five foot five female, you should be like 105 to 125 pounds mm -hmm. in that range of normal. Once you're over 130 pounds, you're outside of the healthy BMI. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're, we're talking about the average woman in America weighs 165 pounds. In 1920, the average American woman weighed 115 pounds. Wow. Well, and we're seeing that in the health system all over the place. So you got my attention. I jump into your diet. I study it and I start eating a lot more vegetables. 
how quickly am I going to see results? I, I understand it's probably going to be dependent person by person, but in general, how quickly am I going to start seeing results? Immediately. I mean, your risk of heart attack will go down more than days. I mean, if you, your risk of heart attack can be up can fluctuate up and down based on what you ate the day before, based on your, wow. you know, so the fact that you're eating healthily immediately lowers your risk of the propensity of blood to clot and the cells to stick together, to be overly sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, we see people starting to get rid of chest pains there. I have, for example, I have a woman here who came in on a, a type one diabetic on about 60 units of insulin a day. And today she's using about 20 units of insulin a day. She's, this is just two days later, she's already cut her insulin use by like 60, per, cut back by, you know, 80% of insulin use just been wow. three days, two or three days. Mm-hmm. I just, a man just went home who lost a hundred pounds in the last three, even three months, he dropped a hundred pounds. He's still got a hundred more pounds to lose, but he still dropped the first hundred in the first three months here, which was totally amazing because most people lose about 15 to 25 pounds the first month. And about 10 to 15 pounds the second month. And then they lose about 10 to 15 until they start to get to their ideal weight or eight to 10 pounds with some women, but per month of weight loss until they get to their ideal weight. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying they, 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 you don't have to lose all your weight to start to reduce your risk of having a heart attack. The minute they start to eat right, they're dramatically lowering the risk of disease as they're mm-hmm. gradually going towards their ideal weight. And then they're, um, then they feel confident in their they're, they always say the fog lifts in the brain and they can think more clearly. So really, people don't understand that, that they think the body deteriorates when you eat unhealthy. They don't realize the brain deteriorates, your thinking process, your creativity, your intelligence, your ability to concentrate, your energy level, all these things deteriorate in the central nervous system in the brain with, with a poor diet and lack of circulation to the brain. It's not when you've developed diabetes or obesity or heart disease, you've lost a huge amount of brain cells simultaneously. Our diet could directly be related to what's going on in our country and people's ability to think. A hundred percent. Not only does what we eat affect brain function, but it affects your ability to think clearly. And when you're an addict, and most people are food addicts, in other words, they're eating, they're going for instant gratification. They don't care about their future. They don't care about better health. They just want to, they just, they got to meet their need for dopamine surge in the brain. They got to, they're dopamine insensitive from overstimulating dopamine with all these rich foods and too many calories. Mm-hmm. And their body then lives lives for their addictive needs and they're no longer, they're dysthymic, which means they're no longer passionate and excited about life and enjoying the beauty of the world around them and relating to other people and the emotional fulfillment you get from loving and caring. They start to be intimately involved with their own immediate need for drug, using food like a drug. When you're a drug addict, you can kill and you can lie and cheat and kill people just to get your drugs. And when you're a food addict, you also become more narcissistically involved with your own instant need, instantaneous need for instant gratification. And you're self-destructing your own life. And you don't care about the benefit of the world or protecting the environment or nature or climate or other people or their value and their human value and needs. You're only told you become more selfishly consumed and a little bit open to bizarre thinking and illogical behavior. So I definitely agree with this concept that our political climate has degenerated to more people, more involved narcissistically with instant gratification and less able to feel and relate to other people and even relate to the future of our protecting the planet for future generations because, because we're, and our food climate, I'm saying, has exacerbated that because it takes away people's ability to think clearly and creatively. Yeah, I started noticing that a couple of years ago and I, in my own mind, thought about it and kind of pondered it. And so this is the first time I verbalized it. So that's great data to have. Thanks. I wrote a book about that. Did you? Yeah, called Fast Food Genocide. Fast Food Genocide is one of my fun books that I, my my favorite books. It did not become a New York Times bestseller. Uh Some of my favorite books that I thought were the most interesting and fascinating Uh were not New York Times bestsellers, were of course the end of heart disease, the end of diabetes, eat Mm -hmm. to live, eat for life, and the things related to health and longevity became bestsellers, of course, you know. Yeah, wow. You know, one thing we haven't talked about yet today, and I had an experience last night, I don't eat many grains. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I eat organic grains, but I ate a couple of slices of pizza last night and woke up at three o'clock this morning with some pretty significant leg pains. So we haven't touched on grains yet. Can we talk about grains? And is there a connection between me eating pizza last night and maybe some inflammation going on? Of course. 
But I'm not against grains if you're eating organic whole grains like teft and amaranth and steel cut oats and mm-hmm. you know whole grain. I'm just the way I don't want people to grind them into flour and bake them into breads and pizzas. But I think you can cook water cooked grains to make a you know for breakfast having some a grain with berries and fruit and, and seeds and nuts and, and it's perfectly a great breakfast. But in any case, and I do eat some like Ezekiel bread that like uh-huh. organic sprouted breads that are made without heavily salt. But when you have like white flour. That's a drug. That, you know, that <laughs> right. sucks nutri- it sucks nutrients out of the body. It stimulates dopamine in the brain. And when you eat such a high salt meal, mm-hmm. the body has to get rid of that salt. And when it gets rid of the salt, it, ur- it also urinates out of potassium, magnesium, other minerals. The um, sodium flux makes for too much mineral changes in the body. and can lead to cramping and restless legs and things like that. So the, it's just the high salt intake is going to make you start to lose minerals. Because your body can't get rid of the extra salt without getting other minerals and then losing other minerals at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't. The point is, you don't have to feel ill, uncomfortable, or suffer when you. So many of these complaints people have: daily headaches, cramps in their legs, you know, lack of all these things people are feeling are a result of their health habits. And they go to doctors, and then doctors will give them drugs. Right. They'll, you know, they'll they're poison their body, and they'll give them poisonous drugs to push the te- to push the toxins back inside instead of the toxins coming out cause the headaches the symptoms are the remedial effects of the toxins being circulated and the doctor you go to a doctor and he'll give you a drug to try to push the garbage under the table you know under the rug it's like when you have high blood pressure you take a blood pressure medication now you you're just gonna that's he gave you a permission slip not a prescription pad it's a permission to go eat the same bad diet that caused the problem to begin with if we never had the drug the doctor would have to say you know you got to start eating vegetables and cut out the salt and exercise every day and lose some weight and you'd have to get your blood pressure down but now you don't have to get to eat live healthy to get your blood pressure down you just take a pill the doctors what the doctors are doing are making things worse not better because they give people the subconscious permission to keep abusing their body and think the doctor can care for it and solve the problem because now your blood pressure looks looks normal with some chemical poison you're taking. Yeah. It's, it's a complete, it, it exacerbates our health conditions. It doesn't make it better. Even before they invented, you know, if you lowered people's blood glucose, we used to treat type two diabetes by getting people fit and to lose body fat and eat healthier. And now they just give them a pill and have them gain weight. I, I for many years called our healthcare system, the death care system in this country. Yes, yes. And I'm not saying all doctors do that, but certainly 99% of people, physicians are still just pres- just prescribers. They're just handing yeah. out poisons with prescriptions, you know. Yeah, well, and in many cases, the blood pressure drugs, thats I've heard that called the gateway drug into four, five, 10 other drugs that you have to take because of the side effects. It's, it's true, you know. You, get a, you go to a doctor and he gives you a drug that even beta blockers and statins cause increased risk of diabetes and make it harder to lose weight, you know? So then make you more diabetic and he's got you on a diabetic drug. You come in, they put you on a, you have your over, you have reflux, right? You have reflux and you have um, esophagitis from eating bad diet, an unhealthy diet. And he puts you on a proton pump inhibitor, which then can increase risk of heart attack, you know? So the proton pump in it and cause an accelerated osteoporosis. And then you give you a drugs for osteoporosis for those drugs and they can cause more reflux and can and, and um and more and can cause atrial fibrillation on your heart and they give you drugs for atrial fibrillation to thin the blood you know so and so one drug causes this disease and and of course there's a lot of studies showing that for example after 10 years of the the blood pressure medications and the and the statin drugs you have higher risk of breast cancer for example from taking wow. those drugs wow and it's just it becomes a downward spiral yes so we're eating better lots of greens lots of vegetables. Is there any detoxing that goes on with the nutritarian way yeah, of eating? De- yes, definitely. People don't feel better the first week. They feel worse. They could feel more fatigue, more headaches, more, you know, so they're definitely, because what people think is the symptoms of a hunger aren't hunger. So stomach cramping and headaches and feeling weak are not hunger. Most mm. people are completely disconnected to the ability to feel hungry. They're feeling withdrawal from their poor diet when they're not digesting food. And they think that's hunger because of eating food makes it go away. So they need to be educated to differentiate toxic hunger from true hunger, the withdrawal symptoms from your poor diet from what real hunger feels like. So they stop eating in response to the toxic withdrawal. And they have to recognize they're they're not gonna feel great for maybe three to five days. And then they're gonna start to feel better. And then they're going to see their weight coming off, their blood pressure coming down, their cholesterol coming normalized. And even, even chest pains, and people who have blockages in their heart, those things are able to be reversed and slowly melted away. And people can get their heart 
get be able to exercise and hike mountains again and work in the you know and dig ditches and you, know? you know I, I hike mountains and do rock scrambling and and do and play tennis but I also love digging holes outside it's great to use the body with a shovel the pick and a shovel it's great exercise and I big I dig these big donut shaped rims around in the hard clay soil around my fruit trees and keep widening the root but um, the the healthy food around the roots as I'm putting in more my my homemade compost and stuff, mm-hmm. my homemade soil around that um, root root ball. Um, but I'm saying I I like getting out there with a pick and shovel and work and, and the exercise because you lose your whole body. Use and then I go to the gym and do other muscles, more standard exercises. But just moving in the garden is great activity too. So before we started recording, you talked about your garden and your face lit up when you were talking about your garden. Tell me about your garden in San Diego, what's there? And tell me about the, the retreat center that you have. Right. Well, we have a retreat here where called the Eat Live Retreat. And people generally come here and stay, you know, one to three months. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, some one person has stayed seven months, but they usually stay, let's say, an average of two to two months. And most of the people that come are people who have either some medical condition or they're overweight. This month, we have maybe two people that are not overweight, just here to enjoy the premises, the pickleball court, the sand volleyball court, the saltwater pool, the incredible organic food and the exotic fruits. And I'm feeding them fresh figs on my own trees. And so some of them come here just for the enjoyment, but most people are coming here to completely transform their life, to learn how to eat right, learn how to make it taste good so they can go home and replicate what they learned here. So they're learning exercises that are fit for their own condition, but also they're learning how to eat right and how to make the foods taste good. A lot of people can do it on their own, read a book, watch a video, do it on their own. But some people really have trouble and they're, and they're so addicted to food that they mm-hmm. need to have to be in a place where the healthy diet is enforced on them. And then after being away from their addictive triggers, they don't want them anymore because they're away from them. They've lost their desire for these foods. And we could send them home now with the ability to stay on the program and they're in, they've learned how to enjoy it. And then, and my enjoyment has coming, you know, I tremendously enjoy watching people transform their health, but I also love creating the, the food right from nature and, and making food from the fruit trees and vegetable gardens. And I'm, I'm buying these um, exotic fruit trees we were talking about, like cherimoyas and atomoyas and sapotes and different types of figs and persimmons and exotic bananas and exotic mangoes that people can't buy in the store. And, mm-hmm. you know, yellow dragon fruit and yellow passion fruit. And I have all kinds of different types of chocolate sapotes and mamey sapotes. And I have different types of a lot of veg, a lot of fruits people never even heard of, like red custard apples and things like that. But yes, it's, it's um, I'm so excited about this because it's like my second life's adventure, a new adventure. In my, <laughs> you know? my retreat property has five acres, and I'm, I have the next door property, two and a half acres, we're abutting it, so I have seven and a half acres. So we have a a disc golf course, a you know a pickleball court, a pool, volleyball courts, um, and we have a, we're right right next to a thousand acre park right next door. Wow. So we have more than a hundred miles of hiking trails. Some on an easier and some harder and more up more steeps. So people go on hikes. So it's really lovely to live here. I could just mm-hmm. I could even turn the just to show you out the window of my of the bed, this bedroom I'm in, just to see like the park. You can look into the park next door wow. and see the beauty. And you can see I have on my property that I'm building my own house. I have you can see 30 fig trees right there. Mm. 30 little baby fig trees. You see them there? Yeah. Wow. And a lot of the food that you prepare. Then you grow right on site. Yes, we grow. Yeah, I, I, and it's fun because I, I grow it on a lot of it on site, and some of it we get locally from organic farmers. You know, in the area that deliver the farm, they go directly from the farm, bring it here because we mm-hmm. put a nice order for them um, from them. But yeah, you know what I grow a lot of? I grow a lot of bok choy. Bok choy is so incredible. It's mm-hmm. so because you can put it raw in salad, and you can juice it, or you can cook it in a in a Asian wok or something. But mm-hmm. also, it looks so beautiful. I it have does. like bok choy and bok choys. They're less likely to have white flies and aphids. They're so they're relatively insect resistant as well, and they just come out so beautiful. And they're a little more heat tolerant. But I have a huge amount of tomatoes growing, of course. Now, yeah. Uh, but yeah, some things I have to get more organic commercially. That I like the like those lettuce mixes, the organic lettuce mixes. I can't grow as I'm not growing myself that well right now. But I'm well, usually just growing asparagus, I'm growing bok choy, I'm growing, and everybody should be growing asparagus because once you set up that bed, there's no more work to do. It just keeps growing. Right. It's, like, it's fun to watch them sprout up too, isn't it? Yeah. Year eight is when a, an asparagus bed really kicks in. 
yeah. takes about eight years to get the the bed developed and the plants growing really well. And after that, it's just it's this perpetual food source. Yeah, it's amazing. I was I moved from New Jersey to California, and I got a, I couldn't move my asparagus bed with me. No, no. But I moved a lot of my plants with me when I was in New Jersey. I had a greenhouse, and I grew. I moved a lot, a lot of probably I moved maybe fifty fruit trees here that I used to have big big pots, and now they're in the yep. ground. But one thing I learned out of um, just an accident, I had this big papaya tree growing in the greenhouse mm-hmm. with a big stalk, which produced about six papayas at the top of the big stalk. But it got so big, it couldn't fit in and out of the door of the greenhouse, even when tilting it, right? right? So I chopped off the top of the tree just because I couldn't fit it in and out the door anymore. And lo and behold, it sprouted eight stalks yep. off the stem now that just had yep. one stalk. And now I have eight stalks with each with six papayas on them. So now I have like 50 papayas, not six papayas. And I planted in the ground in San Diego. And the stem of the tree is now like this big, you know. Like a foot diameter. So I got it. Obviously, it's not in a pot anymore. In the last um, three years, I've had it in the ground with great soil. And it's just like hugely productive of these incredibly delicious papayas. Yeah. Papayas, if you can get them to grow, man, they are productive and amazing. Yeah. That's for sure. That's for you sure. want me to run out to my living, my kitchen, and show you some of the food I picked this morning? Papayas um, and figs and things? Sure. Just look at the food. I'm, all these different varieties. Oh, my gosh. So Joel just came back into the room. and See, Look it. at these beautiful papayas. When I mean, you cut them open, they're like no seeds in there. They're, most, they're so incredible, delicious. Yeah. But this, this, is yellow, this is yellow dragon fruit. Oh, yeah. It's much sweeter than the red dragon fruit. And, and I those picked- are those are both about the size, the papayas and the uh, dragon fruit, about the size of a softball. Yes. Yeah. They're not big papayas, but they're really flavorful. You can't yeah. get a taste like this in the store. And then I have different types of figs. I have these bigger jelly figs. Well, no, where's the bigger one? I guess I ate most of the bigger ones. <laughs> I have smaller figs of different types of figs. You know, red insides, tiger figs, panatas. So I have the nice different variety of figs. I just picked this right before the show. I was out there picking figs. Wow. Um, Hold on, hold on, hold on. You get to go out in the morning and pick fresh food? Exactly. And eat off, sometimes eat off the tree, but, uh, but I actually, um, like I'll pick 30, 40 big figs and I'll bring it into the retreat and the people will eat them for breakfast with their fresh figs or fresh, fresh, even we even grow bananas here. Well, you have a, a very curious microclimate that's close enough to the coast that's not so hot. And right. so you can buy, you can grow a lot of the tropicals. Yeah. Yeah, I, definitely. I use a water stick too. To, you know, but, uh, but I, you know, we're trying to, I don't use irrigation. I hand water the trees. Oh, wow. And a water stick is uh, you hook it to a hose and it injects the water into the ground? Yeah, I use a hose. I use a thick hose, like the wide three-quarter inch hose, so I can mm-hmm. water the tree. I can flood the tree with a lot of water. Because as you know, bananas to use a lot of water, but I oh, yeah. but if I flood the area pretty well, I don't have to water for you know keep it nice and moist for a few weeks. I don't have to water that often because I'm flooding it with a lot of water. Yeah. Awesome. So I am interested in jumping in into the eat for life method, what are my next steps? Well, it's always good to get this kind of information, get to, you know, really get a lot of information. It's hard. It's easier to do if you know a lot. Mm -hmm. To be different from other people, you have to have enough self-esteem and know what you're talking about to feel comfortable living this way. So I strongly recommend people read one of my books. Of course, my most recent book, Eat for Life, is probably the one that has the most updated references and probably best to start there. And, people and, it's a, and it's available on Audible. So if somebody didn't want to read it, they could listen to it. Right. And has a summary. Each chapter has like a one or two page summary mm-hmm. for the most important points to stick in your mind. So I do think that it pays when you're to learn this information in more depth. And I think it should be reading, writing, arithmetic and nutritional science <laughs> right? schools because it's the most critical information people need to protect their future and to maintain yeah. their, their intelligence and have a good life, happy life. Yeah. So, so people start learning some some more about this, and that's more important than you know the the applicable points where you can do start to do right away. Is I want people to change their lunch and to have a giant salad, not a not a six inch soup bowl, but a full nine inch serving bowl of salad where you have half of that lettuce and half of that other types of greens and other vegetables in there with a dressing not made from oil and salt and made from nuts and seeds, blending nuts and seeds in the dressing, and then maybe have a bowl of vegetable bean soup with onions and mushrooms in it and and some fresh fruit for dessert. So you have fruit and soup or stew and big salad. And that's where you start having a healthy lunch. That's your major meal of the day. And 
you keep mentioning uh, nut oil. How do we feel about olive oil? It's 120 calories a tablespoon, uh-huh. and it's very fattening, and it doesn't contain the anti-cancer and benefits of eating nuts and seeds or even olives. Mm-hmm. You, when you take the oil out of the food, you leave most of the protective fibers and phytochemicals back in the food that you part you threw away. It's a processed food, and oil and it's fattening, and you have, and you're not going to lose weight when you're pouring oil on your food because oil instantaneously turns on fat storage hormones and fat storage mechanisms. When you eat a nut or seed as a source of fat, the fat calories come in at one or two calories a minute into bloodstream, not 50 calories a minute into your bloodstream. Mm -hmm. When the fat rushes into the bloodstream, the body has to store it. It can't burn it for energy that fast. So it turns on fat storage. And also it's an appetite stimulant and you can't put 500 calories of oil on your food and expect to lose weight. And the average American is putting 500 calories of oil in their food. Maybe if they put a teaspoon, maybe if they put 40 calories of oil in their food, but not Mm -hmm. 500 calories of oil, they've been been brainwashed or they've been misinformed or scammed to think oil is a health food. Whereas when we do studies, even the Prevamid study from Europe showed when people switch from butter and other sources of fat to olive oil, the risk of heart attack went down by 15%. But when they switched and they started using nuts and seeds instead of olive oil, the risk of heart attack went down by more than 60%. Wow. So it's a question of what you're comparing it to. It's better yeah. than butter, but it's not better than eating a walnut, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what kind of oils should I be using on, on my salad? Because we eat no. salads regularly here. You should be making a dressing by blending nuts and seeds or nut butters into the dressing. So we're making a Caesar dressing with hemp seeds and cashews and tofu and, you know, and, and miso and some delicious and some nutritional yeast and a little bit of kelp. We're making a, a little bit of squeeze of lemon and some roasted garlic in there. And we're making a tomato Russian dressing with tomato paste and roasted sun-dried tomatoes with um with almonds and set and and hemp seeds with a little bit of with a little bit of roasted garlic and some fig or, or a balsamic vinegar or fig vinegar in there. So we're we're making delicious dressings by whipping up the whole nutter seed to make the dressing, not the oil from the nutter seed. Got it. Excellent. And making desserts, we're making a black bean brownie where the icing is made from avocado and a little cocoa powder and a date. Or the, oh. you know, so we're not putting sugar into the brownie and we're not putting fat in. We're not using oil in it. We're using and not using, we're using the avocado for the base. We're using the nut, yeah. we put some almond butter in the beans to make the cocoa powder to make the bean brownie. We made a we made a delicious dessert. I put whipped up the mango with some coconut flakes. And a little squeeze of lemon to make a mango ice cream, or took a the or took a little banana and oats and with cocoa powder and some and some real vanilla bean powder with some macadamia nuts to make a really delicious tasting ice cream without putting animal fat or other unhealthy sugars in there. Wow, where do I get all of these uh, recipes that you're talking about? Each one of my books has tons of recipes in it, but my website probably has two thousand recipes on on my website. I would think. So very easy to get the recipes. They're all over the place. Anything of mine has recipes, you know, books, website, you know, anything you get of mine. We have whole menu plans for reversing diabetes and we have all types of support that people need to incorporate this into their lives. Wow. And you have a current project? It's a Conquering Disease Masterclass. That's right Mm -hmm. on the My Events page on the website where people, that, that talks about with people with autoimmune conditions or early stage cancers want to know how to eat, maximally extend human lifespan or conquer their disease process. I have a downloadable series of lectures people can access on my events page. That's what you're referring to. Because yeah. some people like to hear me explain it and see the videos and go through it with slides rather than just read a book. So there's a lot of options the way we can deliver this information to people. Cool. And what's your website? My website is drfurman.com which is D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, this has been amazing. I mean, I, th- I feel like we could talk forever. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned from it. Well, remember earlier I mentioned I was on the U.S. world figure skating team in mm-hmm. my, when I was a teenager and in early 20s? In 1974... In 1973, I came in second in the United States National Championships, and the number one team ahead of us retired. We were number one in line for the title in 74. I got hurt and was on crutches for a year or more, and I couldn't, couldn't compete in this 1974 and 75. I missed out on the Olympics. I, I thought my whole life I'd be in the Olympics in that with training so uh-huh. hard. 
in the top of the you know that world. So I I had to revamp my life and really think about what my one my and I think the failure of not being able to pursue the the continuation of my skating career and the expectation the ambition I had made me rethink of the maybe the narrowness of being a competitive of solely of your own competitive aspirations mm-hmm. and and maybe looking at skating for enjoyment and and the art form but also thinking what am i passionate about in life and what, how can i be more useful to society and maybe be more broader than just being focused on training and and on a, on a competitive endeavor all every waking hour you know and being narrowly focused on your own success so i think that the, the my injury eventually resulted in me becoming an interested in becoming a physician and becoming a doctor and trying to help people get well and get healthy again so i think i had not gotten hurt and not been unable to walk with the fear of never walking again, even I was so hurt, badly hurt. Yeah. I think I would never have like devoted my life to this career. So it, it really changed the the um the focus of my interest in my life. It, you know, it's amazing how little things and big things, and this is the reason I asked this question, is it's when we fail, and it's not necessarily failure, but when we have a thing that doesn't go the way we want it to go or the way we plan, it right. has us pause and reevaluate and magic happens out of that. Look what's happened with you. Yeah, definitely. So what do you consider your biggest success? You know, people would say have my biggest success financially and and with for the outside world is I wrote this book Eat to Live that became a number one New York Times bestseller and mm-hmm. stayed on the New York Times bestseller list in the number one position for more than a for more than a year. Wow. You know, one of the best selling books and I and my shows on television on PBS has raised over $70 million for public television and in fact impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Wow. But if but if you really want to get like personal, my biggest success, it has to do with just watching people transform and get well, you know, mm-hmm. saving people's lives and working with them individually and one-to-one and watching them and seeing that type of relationship you develop and the gratitude and feeling you have from transforming a person's life positively. So my real success and the real is what is the reason I went into this, what I the pleasure you get when you can aid a person and turn their life around and completely turn their life the other direction, like a woman who gets up on a mountain and puts her arms up and says, look at me, my psoriatic arthritis is gone. I can climb mountains now. Or a person that was having 18 bloody bowel wounds a day now doesn't have ulcerative colitis or a person with multiple sclerosis who's cured or a person who now has, you know, so those are the real successes. They're the cumulative effects of the individuals I've helped. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that you get input from people. And they, I, yeah, yes, I have 500 like of those success stories on my website, for example, but people send me letters and emails and cards. And, and so, yes, that's the, the such, um, such um, warmth and relations you feel for having a positive effect on a person's life. And yeah. I'm just like, and, and it doesn't have to be affecting thousands of people. You get the same effect positively. If you affect five people, you feel good about yourself, whether it's a hundred thousand people or five people. Yeah. And every and, and that's one thing with getting healthy yourself. Every person out there who takes care of their own health and gets an excellent health becomes a role model and is able to have a positive effect on other people in their community, in their environment, in the people. So it's like you say, so I've and since you're I've unleashed superheroes all over the country of people <laughs> that are repre, are representatives and can rub off in healthy ways on other people in their communities and have good effects on them. Nice. Yeah, I I get input. And a big part of the reason I do this podcast is to affect people like that. Right. And what drives you? I just love living and what I do. I'm, you know, I'm driven to, I I like to be active. I love to enjoy life. So I love to play sports and to do things and climb mountains with my family and play tennis and go surfing and go swimming and go, go to the movies and listen to music. And I, and I like, gardening and I love and I like you know talking to people and feeling for people's insides and feeling for their so I just I'm passionate about every day waking up excited with things I can do to pursue my dreams and my passions and every day is worthwhile living and achieve and doing things and so I just feel it's good to stay in good health because you can continue to enjoy your life to the fullest when you take proper care of your health yeah when you and I have an interesting correlation in our lives you picked up and moved across the country I picked up and moved across the country. Why did you do that? It was a dream of mine always to move to California or move somewhere and grow more of my own food. That was always a dream of mine. I had to wait till my last child was out of high school 
um, before we did that. And then my my daughters, my adult daughters, um, knew that we were looking for a place to have a retreat. Mm-hmm. And they found this property in San Diego next to the park that was still available and undeveloped outside of an HOA or a, an open community here. So they found this property and showed it to me. And I said, wow, this is like an incredible neighborhood. So I think what started it was my two of my daughters actually moved out here to San Diego. And then they drew uh, the rest of the family out here and showed, and I loved it. And I just said, wow, this is the greatest place. So I kind of like eased out. So I stopped practicing. I used to be practicing medicine, seeing patients all day long, 90, 80 hours a week. And now I'm, you know, I have a lower patient load. I have people coming to the retreat and I'm doing other things. I have more time for growing and I'm more, it's kind of like my second part of my life. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm retired, but compared to the way I used to work, you could say I'm semi-retired or at least I'm a, working a third less and have more time for recreation, sports, and plant and gardening. Nice. And uh, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? You know, I, I've really been getting into lately Wendy Walker's books. Wendy Walker. She had, because the books are so brilliantly creative about the human mind and about you understanding human nature and, and trying to figure out the book and how it, you know, how it all the pieces come together. So one of the books is All Is Not Forgotten, I really liked. Another book, um, Emma in the Night, is really liked. So they're, they're not related to health and nutrition. They're just interested, interesting books that are kind of like brilliantly designed to be a puzzle and to solve the puzzle and to and the their intricacies of psychological dysfunction and psychological function of how the human mind. So I've I've just been enjoying those books. I thought I just read them recently, you know. Are they fiction or nonfiction? They're yeah. fiction books, they're stories and they're Sometimes they're psychological thrillers and whodunits, but they're, they give so much, they're so intelligently written and with a deep understanding of, of psychology and human emotion that I find them really um, fascinating. Nice. The reason I ask this particular question is because my favorite book of all time is a fiction book. It's called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Uh-huh. And it's a conversation between a gorilla and a man. And the gorilla is the teacher. And they oh, I got to read that. That sounds great. It's a fantastic book. And it really, it, it speaks to the way that we human beings have come to dominate the planet over the past 10,000 years. Right, for sure. And I just read, I read a book like that called, oh yeah, The Clan of the Cave Bear. Have you ever read that? I haven't, but I've heard of it. Oh, that's a definite must read. The okay. Clan of the Cave Bear. They have a whole series of books. That first book is great, though. It's 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 ter- it's a stories about early humans on the planet mm-hmm. and how they lived. But so fascinating and rich, you know. Nice. Yeah. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I'll reiterate that advice that to make the salad the main dish at least once a day. Mm-hmm. So you have the 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 advice to my listeners is make the lunch the most important meal of your day. We are eating a giant, a big salad and chew it extremely well, a nut and seed based dressing, a bowl of vegetable bean soup and some fruit for dessert. That's your lunch. If you stick, if the whole country just did that, mm-hmm. we'd cut healthcare costs more, we'd drop healthcare costs in half and, and save millions of lives. Wow. Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Joel. My pleasure. Looking forward to to doing it again one day and to, yeah. and of course, wishing you and your listeners fantastic health. Thank you. And so I, I do want to dig into one more thing real quick before we leave. You've got a bunch of books. Tell us about some of your books and where we can find them. Well, certainly you can find books and pamphlets and on my website, but you can buy them on Amazon too. I mean, you can find anything on Amazon, but mm-hmm. my most recent book, as you know, is Eat for Life. But I think that I also recommend if you have diabetes, reading the end of diabetes, or if you have heart disease, the end of heart disease, to understand those things better. I do have a book, as we mentioned, called Fast Food Genocide, which one of my recent books. And I have a book called Super Immunity that refers to protection from infection and cancers. But I think that to start to get an overview of like a lot of my work over the years, the, the most recent book, Eat for Life, would be a good place for people to start. Perfect. And it's available in print and in Audible. So... Yeah, sure. You can get print or on a download or on an Audible, you know, for sure. Excellent. And tell me about your retreat center just a little bit and where people can find more information about that. They can go to drfurman.com. There's a tab that says retreat or event, you know, retreat. I, I want people to have a lot of different avenues so they can make sure they get help. 
They can ask me questions on the website, for example, in the member center, just to get some advice about something they're having trouble with. They can communicate with me through the website in a way. But some people need a more additional level of help, and they need to come and stay and actually live with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually eating meals with them. You know, I'm living, they're living here in my facility, which is my, which is my guest wow. home, right next to my regular home. And they're staying here and they're being fed by my chefs and being maybe be helping me in the garden or working with, I have a trainer here, a physical trainer, and, and we have a nurse on premises and we have four chefs and we have cooking classes and emotional eating counseling and, and uh, my lectures personally. And my, and they, people come here under my care where I'm actually their doctor while they're here, usually de-prescribing, getting them slowly off their medications while they're getting well from their medical problems. And that's tremendously rewarding to me. I like connecting with real people and getting to know them. And my wife does too. We really enjoy having those people here. And it's like a, a different type of a medical practice. where, um, But also it's, an, it's a retreat where people can come who are not even sick, where they just like being here, you know, yeah. eating the great tasting food. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. All you right. can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash eat for life. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.